Heavenly Father, you alone are worthy of our praise for all good gifts come from you and we thank and praise you for everything. Most of all, we praise you for your son who came into our world to, to show us how to, to live a life but to lay down his life for us that we might indeed live a new and a better life through the power of your Holy Spirit. So come and let us listen well that we might go away transformed to, to live our lives fully to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We invite you to take out your Bibles. If you didn't bring your own Bible along, you can take out one of those pew Bibles there with you. And I want you to turn to Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. It's page 708. Question I have for you is, what are you living your life for? What are you living your life for? Now, the easy church answer on Sunday morning, I'm living my life for Jesus. Okay? But I don't know that that's the answer Jesus is going to be satisfied with this morning, so I'm going to challenge you a little further with that. Are you living your life for the pursuit of happiness? And that seems very American, doesn't it? Is that what you're living your life for, in the pursuit of happiness? Are you, are you living your life for success, to, to be successful? Or is there something more that, that God would, would call us to live our life for? That's what we're going to be wrestling with today as we take a look at God's uh, and Jesus' calling of, of Levi or Matthew to, to, to follow him. What are, are we living our, our life for? And especially, I think, for uh, us as, as men, this is a, on Father's Day, it's one of those things that's good for us to, to wrestle with because, let's be honest, that, that uh, living our life in the pursuit of success is something that, that many times we get ourselves caught up in. Or the pursuit of, of happiness. Do we have all the toys that we need to, to, to be happy? What's kind of uh, interesting to me as I observe things that are going on in our culture is among young people that they uh, have maybe some ways written off the pursuit of success and happiness. Unfortunately, way too many of our young people are simply saying, I'm going to live to avoid pain. And that's kind of sad, isn't it? But that's what... We, we come to the, this day with. And, and so what we see and experience in this gospel of, of Mark as we continue our journey and we're trying to, to have a chance to, to see Jesus and go be Jesus, that's what we want to take a look at on this Father's Day. So we go to, to Mark chapter 2, verse, beginning of verse 13. It says, once again... Uh, and so it says Jesus had been kind of in a habit of, of doing this. Uh, Jesus went out beside uh, the lake. He was uh, kind of stationing himself there in the town of Capernaum. And Capernaum was on the, uh, by the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret in some of the Gospels. So he's uh, positioning himself there. And he goes out uh, to this uh, lakeside. And what, wouldn't a lot of the, the guys today like to go out by the lake? Sure. So... Good for Father's Day. So he goes out there, and here's what's kind of interesting. A large crowd came to him. Jesus had developed a reputation through the way he was living his life. And he continued to do what he had been doing. He began to teach them. 
Now here's where it gets kind of interesting. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed Jesus. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, what I want you right now to focus on is verse 14. I don't know about you, but as I kind of heard this story way back in Sunday school days, there was something about that that made me kind of wonder how it would be that this guy who was sitting at the tax collector's booth, Jesus walks by and says, follow me, and all of a sudden, Levi gets up and follows him. Doesn't that seem a little bit odd to you? I, I guess I sometimes as a kid wondered if Jesus literally had this magnetic power. And if he said, follow me, I'll, you know, and, and kind of, okay, Jesus, I'm following you. And that, 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 the more I thought about it, that doesn't fit. That's not the way Jesus operated. So we need to understand some things about the background of what we hear here and the context of it. First of all, there's some things about understanding Levi or Matthew, as he's called in some of the other Gospels. He was a tax collector. Now, tax collectors were people who the Roman uh, government would sell a franchise to them to be tax collectors, and they would get a certain cut of the money that they collected in being a tax collector. Now, any of you who are in business know that location is a pretty important factor in whether you're going to have a successful business, right? So it's important that you pick a location where there's going to be a lot of traffic. Now, what we understand about Capernaum is not only was it a pretty cool town being on uh, the west side of uh, uh, Lake Gennesaret, but it also was right along a major trade route going from the north to the south. So people were going from Egypt up into Samaria and then coming up into Turkey and that. Oftentimes that was the route they had. That was the easiest route, the least mountainous route to take. So people that were traveling, they oftentimes were almost required to take this trade route that went right through Capernaum. So Matthew, he's got it made in the shade. Lake home, and the best location for gathering taxes probably that there was. And so you, you need to understand about uh, Matthew that he was a very successful uh, man. He uh, was bringing in bookoodles of money. It, it was like uh, if you had a pos position of being able to get a cut of the money on one of those Chicago uh, freeway toll booths. Now how many of you like those toll booths? And you probably don't have a real sense of fondness for those toll booth collectors, right? If you got the right change in your pocket, you just want to throw it in and get going without having to stop and say anything to them. But just imagine that this is uh, the, the situation that, that Matthew has. He has this toll booth, 
And everybody that's traveling through there, they have to stop and pay a, a tax, a toll, in order to continue on uh, with their, their business. So he's a successful businessman. Great location, bringing in bookoodles of money. And we get a hint of that as we looked in our text that he had a big home. He invited Jesus to come to his home and he had room for all of these many uh, tax collectors and, and fellow uh, sinners that he uh, knew uh, to invite them and stay for dinner at his house too. So I can't imagine the size of his dining room, but it must have been pretty impressive, right? Matthew probably was able to get any toy that he wanted. He was able to probably buy companionship and friendship. There, there's the, the, the old adage that uh, money can't buy happiness, but you know, the reality is that money can buy some temporary happiness, and I suspect with all his money, he was periodically buying some temporary happiness. So this helps us to, to understand the situation there that, that we, we have with, with Levi. And yet, the other thing we need to understand about Levi is that he was despised. Just by the very fact that any time you uh, saw him, you're probably going to have to put, put out some more money. That doesn't make you particularly a popular person, does it? The other thing is that being a, a, a Jewish person and having done this, it was like he was a traitor. It'd be one thing to be working for the IRS and giving the United States Treasury money, but imagine that you were a tax collector for Al-Qaeda. That would not give you a real sense of, of feeling good about this tax collector who was raising funds for Al-Qaeda. That's what helps you to understand how people were feeling, especially his fellow Jews. As a matter of fact, he was despised by his fellow Jews and disowned. He wasn't able even to go into his local synagogue. He had been uh, kicked out of that, that synagogue so that he couldn't even go uh, in there. So he's successful. But really, the, the only people it appears that wanted to have anything to do with him were his fellow tax collectors and other people who were kind of known to, to, to not be good people, to be sinners. So we see Levi there at his tax collector's booth. But now imagine, he's really in a rather good position. He's been there doing his job, but he's also been able to see some of the things that Jesus has been up to. He's been able to see the things. Remember what we've been going through the last couple of weeks here? He's already seen Jesus or heard about him driving out demons. People that had had this force controlling them, they were freed from that. He was healing people of their illnesses and diseases. We hear that he's teaching with authority. We see Jesus forgiving sins. We see Jesus freeing people from their paralysis. And so he's seeing this and he's hearing about it. I, I, I get this picture of people are coming to him and they, they really uh, are almost every one of them. Hey, have you heard about this Jesus? Have you heard what he did today? And every day something significant that Jesus had done to make someone else's life better, people were talking about it. And so here's what I want you to kind of grasp. You got this very successful Levi 
and Jesus comes by, and for weeks he's been seeing and hearing about what Jesus and the significant things that Jesus has been doing. And Jesus comes by and he says two simple words, follow me. And I believe that Jesus was putting a choice there in Matthew's life, in Levi's life. Do you want to just to continue your successful life or do you want to live a life of significance? And isn't that a huge question for us? We can continue to live our life in the pursuit of success, in the pursuit of happiness, or we can hear Jesus saying, you've seen the way I'm living my life. Would you like to live a significant life as well? I believe for all the things that Jesus saw Jesus doing, living that life of significance, that he noticed it. And so, so when that invitation came, it, it was that wrestling that he had to do. Am I satisfied with life the way I've been living it? Or do I want to radically change what I'm living my life for? That's the challenge that I'm laying before you today. I believe it's a challenge God wants to lay before each and every one of us, and especially us men. Because, we, as I said, we can get so wrapped up in that pursuit of success. And you know, this, this call to significance is repeated over and over again in the scriptures. You see Moses' life. There's three sections to Moses' life. Forty years of success, living in the Egyptian palace, had everything that he could possibly want. Then he goes to 40 years of insignificance, living out in the wilderness, and the main thing that he saw his life about was taking care of sheep and flocks of goats. And then at age 80, and the reason I, I think this is sig significant is that some of us are saying, I'm too old to change what I live for. You're not. At 80, God comes to Moses in that burning bush, he says, I want you to invest your life in rescuing my people from their slavery. And from that point on, for the next 40 years of his life, he lived a life of significance, carrying out the mission that God had given to him. Think about David as a young teen. He uh, probably was thinking that his life would be significant in the most exciting thing happening that he would kill a bear or a lion every once in a while. And then God's anointing comes upon him. And he says, you're going to be significant in killing giants to the glory of God. We see this happening in uh, Andrew and Peter's life. They had a successful business as fishermen. It wasn't that they were bad at it and somehow then uh, Jesus says, I want you to do something you're going to be good at. He simply says, as good as you are at catching fish, I now want you to be involved in something much more significant, being fishers of men. We see it happening in the life of Paul. 
According to the standards of everyone in his Jewish culture that were observing his life, he was a successful man. But in the book of Philippians, he says, I count that all rubbish for the significance of knowing Jesus and following Jesus and sharing Jesus with the world. That call to live our life in significance is one that is repeated over and over again. I kind of see it somewhat at work in my own uh, life. As I was in high school, one of the early things that I was thinking about, I might want to be a civil engineer. And yet, I didn't have a peace about that. In the middle of my senior year, God wrestled with me and he let me know that if I wanted to do something meaningful with my life, if I wanted to do something uh, that I would be content with, that I needed to answer his call to be a pastor. Now, I'm not suggesting here, I want to make sure you hear this, that I'm not suggesting that the only way to live a life of significance is to quit your job and go to the seminary and become a pastor. That may not be at all. Matter of fact, I would say probably for most of you, that would not be God's calling to significance in your life. But it was for me. But even there, after I went through my seminary training and was uh, being a pastor, especially in the second church that I was called to, I was driven to be a successful pastor. I had been called to develop an, a new mission start in, in Minnesota there, and I was pouring in hours and hours and hours into to being that successful pastor. And yet, I was burning myself out. And I really wasn't finding that significance that I thought would be there. And so uh, I then, uh, when I was in my late 30s, I, I felt, you know, if I get some extra uh, training in being a counselor, I saw the significance of how I could make a significant difference in people's lives in, in counseling, bringing God's grace and truth into the lives of counseling. So I went and got training in that and spent a number of years uh, in, in counseling because I found that more significant. But the story doesn't end there. As things are going well in my counseling, this crazy congregation in Michigan, they said, we want you to come and be care pastor at Messiah. I didn't want to go to Michigan, nothing against Michigan, but I really didn't want to go to Michigan. There were good lakes in Minnesota and, and uh, that, that uh, you know, uh, that, so... I, I, but I came up here. And here's the thing that I want you to understand. What more than anything convinced me that God wanted me to, to, to make this move was that I knew and sensed that God was up to something significant at Messiah. Have you ever sensed that? If you better, God is up to something. So he has been for the last... I don't know how many years, ever since I've been here, I have said that confidence that God is up to something soon. Now, it's one thing for us, and the reason I make this point, it's one thing for us to be involved in something that we see as significant. It's another thing for you to say, I want to be involved in something God sees as significant. That's when I think you have understood what God is. What do I see as significant? What's going to make a difference from my perspective? And invest yourself in that. And I think that, that helps us to understand some things just simply about being a, a husband and a dad. 
When we invest ourselves as men in our marriages, God views our marriages as significant. And he says, way to go. When we invest ourselves in our children, in showing them through our lives and, and through the way we interact with them, that they are significant to us and that we want them to know the Lord as well, God sees that as significant. And so we have that opportunity, not necessarily that we're going to go uh, off to some uh, foreign country on a, um, a mission or something like that, but the living a life of significance often begins at home. Investing yourself in what God sees as significant and letting some of the stuff that God sees as insignificant, letting it slide. Here's a, is a word of encouragement to, to, to uh, wives and, and you kids. If you see your husband investing in your marriage and making it significant, say thank you. Let him know how much you appreciate it. Kids, if you see your dad investing time in you, not just on Father's Day, but throughout the year, let him know it. Because I'm going to tell you one thing about men. If you give us appreciation about the things that we are doing, we tend to do more of it. Right? Amen, guys? All right. Here's the other side of it. If you nag us about something, Amen. yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's the only one of us who's honest. <laughs> if you nag us about something, we tend to do less of it. Now, I don't know why we're wired that way, but I just want to let you know that. When you see us as men investing ourselves in what God sees as significant, Appreciate it. Say thank you. Give us a hug and a, and a kiss for, for, for doing it. And you'll be surprised how God uses that to encourage us to continue that life of significance. I want to close today just simply by sharing with you some things. One, we're going to offer to all the, the, the men here today a book by Bob Buford. It's called uh, Halftime. And it's his amazing journey. He was a very successful businessman. And how he had to wrestle with do I want to live a life of success or significance? And so we're offering this as our Father's Day gift to you. But I want to conclude with that question I started with at the beginning of the message. What are you living your life for? Are you living your life for success? Are you living your life merely in the pursuit of happiness? Or are you answering God's call to live a life of significance. You've met Jesus. You've seen him living that life of significance. You've seen him living that and modeling. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He saw a significance not in how many were serving him, but in how many he could serve. He came to lay down his life as a ransom for many, to lay down his life for his sheep. And so it is that we also can find our significance in laying down our life for others. Jesus came to Levi, having shown him a life of significance and said, follow me. Will you follow Jesus and live a life of significance to the glory of his heavenly Father? And all of God's people who are willing to do that say, Amen. <laughs>